early on when I was starting Casino Royal Kids Ministries, um, I was pretty unsure about um, what to do, how to uh, how to in, in, interact with the kids, what kind of supplies I needed to do, and just really, I was really kind of discouraged, lost, trying to figure out just some details and things, and, and wondering if I was also making the right choice to step out in faith to start this nonprofit. And I remember I, I received a phone call from a gentleman that I didn't know, um, and he introduced himself to me, told me that he heard about me from North Shore Christian Church, and he said, you know, I sent God telling me to help you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so he's like, what do you need? And I was like, well, I need, uh, I think I need some, some games and stuff for the kids for us to do some activities with them at the club. He's like, all right, let's meet up. So we, we met up at a Fred Myers, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, the gentleman I had met, met him for the first time in my life. He shook, shook my hand, introduced himself, and uh, he's like, okay, get what you want. And I was like, what? What do you mean, get what I want? He's like, get what, whatever you want. And I remember picking some things and me trying to be humble about it. And, uh, and he, he looked at the basket and he, he looks at me in the face. He said, hey man, I told you to get what you want. What do you really need for the kids? Just get it. And I uh, picked some things up. And I remember uh, driving home um, after that encounter and just, just saying, God, thank you. And crying a little bit because I think um, oftentimes when I ask God for things, um, when he, he, he provides it, I kind of take it sheepishly. And then this man's words about, hey man, I told you to get whatever you want, kind of spoke to me and God saying, hey, when you when you pray to me and you ask me for something, step out in faith and just grab it. Don't don't try to think of it small, shoot for, shoot for the big. And, uh, and so I always remember that. And I think about that, that gentleman often um, and he encourages me when I'm when I'm feeling kind of doubting myself or wondering if we should continue on. I always think of him and, and, and um, just God's word of that. You know, I think Paul writes that um, we can ask for anything from Jesus and God will exceed our expectations in that. And so I just wanna I wanna live by faith like that. I wanna live with faith like counting on Jesus that I can expect that I serve a God who is capable of answering all my prayers. Amen. Um, if you would really quick with me, God, uh, this morning we ask that you would give us a spiritual understanding of your word. Um, let us see with your eyes. Thank you for what you have for us in this place, in this time, on this day. In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, my name's Tyler. I am uh, one of the youth pastors here, which is an admission that I have yet to grow up, but... Uh, if you're going to not do that, uh, youth ministry is a good place to do that. So we're having fun. Uh, this morning, the passage that we're in, if you have Bibles or devices, we're going to be in John 3. And John 3 contains, maybe obviously, John 3.16. One of the most recognized pieces of literature in the history of humanity uh, it has uh, done something unique in that its reach goes beyond its own source, meaning if you don't know, like, or appreciate the Bible, you might have still heard of John 3.16. There were a couple decades when it would appear behind home plate and behind field goal posts, 
uh, and its reach was everywhere. Um, and I was kind of looking into this. Like how, how far-reaching is this, is this passage? And um, one of the stories I had kind of forgotten uh, from a few years back when Tim Tebow brought John 3.16 back into the forefront of sports by having it on his eye black at one of the championship games. And uh, there was a, a game after that, and Tim Tebow had kind of you know, been known for doing the John 3.16 or, or maybe a different verse on his eye black. Um, but he had a playoff game when he was with the Broncos where some bizarre stuff started happening. Like he threw for exactly 316 yards and it was on 10 passes, so it was an average of 31.6 yards per attempt. And, and all these crazy 316s. And by the end of the game, 94 million people had Googled John 316. It's just crazy. So let's do, we're friends here. How many of you, if, if you were to just kind of say, I, I think by a show of hands, I have a good idea of what John 316 says. How many of you, maybe word for word or close to it? All right. Now, we're still friends. How many of you with reasonable certainty think you might know the sentence before or after? John 3, 15 or maybe 17. So you got like th three brave people, part of 17. So we got this sentence that just appears out of the Bible and it goes everywhere. Uh, so this morning, I would like to spend some time with the conversation that leads to that verse. It is a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus, and by the end of it, we get this sentence that seems to have uh, transcended uh, the Bible and, and, and countries and languages, and, and it's everywhere. Um, so here's, here's, before we jump into this, here's what you need to know about Nicodemus to understand this encounter. Um, Nicodemus has, uh, for lack of better words, a PhD in Old Testament. He is a teacher of the law. He is one of the primary teachers of Israel. And so he has what would be equivalent to, you know, like three Sanjays worth of Old Testament uh, expertise. Now that's important to know because Jesus plays with that. And so through this conversation, Jesus is going to uh, use the lingo of Nicodemus. Now, we all kind of have our worlds where we can do that. You have areas that you're familiar with and are comfortable with where you know the lingo really well. And you can have conversations with somebody in your field that, you know, if, if me or someone else who's outside of that is sitting there listening, it will go over your head. So some of that's happening here, but, you know, you could have uh, Star Wars conversations and talk about, you know, cryo-freezing and hyperspace and, and words that don't make sense in different contexts. Or, uh, you know, if you're in sports, you can use a lot of statistical lingo, um, you know, and leave people behind. And if you're in uh, graphic design, right, you can have things like pixels and composition and things that might even mean something different in another conversation. Uh, or if you're in the military, you probably have about 7,000 acronyms on hand. And my brother sent in a couple, and uh, there's some kind of ridiculous acronyms that I don't think you need. <laughs> but you have them. So Jesus is going to do that twice in this conversation. He's going to make two very specific lingo references and we'll follow both of those and go where Jesus goes. But that's helpful to know because just reading the conversation, it can seem like uh, Jesus is, is rambling. Uh, 
but he's just living in the world that he and Nicodemus are living in. Um, so this is just simply a conversation at night. Right, we get that right away. Uh, Nicodemus comes and approaches Jesus. And so I'll read. I'm in the ESV this morning. I'm just starting at verse 1. We'll read the 15 verses uh, initially of this conversation. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we're going to stop there for a moment. Um, but we see that Nicodemus seeks this conversation. He, he, he finds Jesus. Um, he finds Jesus at night and begins to ask. And uh, he asks a question that, that kind of relates to this day that we're celebrating in the life of the church. Palm Sunday, and we sang that beautiful song in the middle, Hosanna, which was the cry of the people as Jesus entered Jerusalem the last week of his life. And the primary uh, point of, of interest as Jesus came back to Jerusalem was, who is this guy? Right, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so uh, Nicodemus begins this conversation and says, we know that you come from God. And there's this interesting recognition that there's something different about Jesus. And Nicodemus opens the conversation. You are uh, strange or divine or supernatural or something. It's not even a question. It's just, hey, we, you're from God right? And uh, Jesus begins to answer in a very odd way, right? And he says, truly, this is verse 5, Jesus answers, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this is the, the first detour. 
right? Nicodemus just is like, hey, I'm trying to have a conversation. And Jesus responds with earth and wind and water and, and all these crazy things. So the first detour, Jesus takes Nicodemus back to a very interesting and unique passage in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And I would caution as we uh, travel this conversation to not be too hard on Nicodemus. Because his primary point, his primary role in this conversation is to go, what? (laughs) He's just asking, Jesus, what are you talking about? And I would not be too hard on Nicodemus because Jesus is essentially inventing phrases here. Uh, it's like when your kids come home and they're saying words that you know they're English words, but they're using them in ways that you don't understand. Um, Jesus says, born again, talking about water and spirit, and Nicodemus says, what? So it brings us back to Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 24. And this is, again, this is something Nicodemus would be familiar with. And so God says this in Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God." It's one of the most unique places in the Bible which describes this holistic transformation that God wants to do in and within people. uh, This is about as clear as it gets anywhere in by where, where God is using very specific imagery, metaphors. I'm going to remove something from you and I'm going to put something in you. It's what God wants to accomplish in his people. And and all of the images are good ones, right? From dead to alive, from hard to soft, from stone to uh, flesh, from unchanging to changeable. This right here, this is the unceasing theme of this series that we've been through, Faces in the Crowd, as Jesus has actually been doing this the whole time. People have material questions, normal concerns, earthly needs, and Jesus has responded with something different, bigger, eternal, life-changing, going all the way back to the very first sermon in this series when Scott broke down for us uh, a a guy who couldn't walk. And his friends, if you remember from Mark 2, they they pulled open a hole in the roof and they lowered their friend down. And Jesus says, sir, I see that you cannot walk. How about I forgive your sins? And you're supposed to have that sort of, what? (laughs) Right? 
being able to walk is what was desired. Being forgiven of sins is what was given. And there's this thing going on. We've seen it in all of these stories. You can pick one, right? The, uh, the, the, the lepers from just a couple weeks ago. Physical healing. And yet the point of the story is about the one guy and his, uh, his gratitude and his heart and his position of worship. This is what Jesus does. This is who God is. And specifically, Jesus says it's, it's almost difficult to see. This kingdom that Nicodemus is wondering about, that Jesus is describing, he says uh, in verse 3, you can't even see it until there is spiritual change. Until God's spirit has done work in you. So catch, catch this hint, which is really less of a hint and more of a divine thesis statement, that what we see with our eyes is not the complete picture. It is not everything in God's kingdom. And so that was just eight verses. Jesus kind of unloads this new idea on Nicodemus. And in verse nine, right, Nicodemus plays his part well, says to him, how can these things be? What? Uh, so we continue. Verse 10, Jesus kind of answers the question. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So here, pay attention to 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Have you guys ever seen Indiana Jones? The first one, not like when I ask my students. And they're like, the one with the aliens and Shia LaBeouf? I'm like, no, the actual, the good ones. Um... There's that scene when the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first movie, and they uh, kind of finally found the pit, and they open and they look in, and, and that guy with just the amazing voice rolls over and goes, you know, I can't do it, but uh, asps, very dangerous, you go first, right? And now I have a person in my family uh, who is a little obsessed with that line. I won't name any names, we'll just call him my dad. And if we're just having conversation at dinner and like something, something and something vaguely re resembling a snake comes up, my dad will quote that line to us. I'm like, yes, dad, we know the movie. And it just comes out of nowhere, right? Kind of feel like in, that, in this conversation sometimes, Jesus is talking about being born again and water and spirit and now there's a snake. Why is there a snake in the conversation? This is another, this is the second detour. So Jesus is taking Nicodemus back to a very well-known story about a snake in his people's history. And so during the Exodus, they're not a free people yet. All of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt. They've made it out. They've crossed the Red Sea. Now they're wandering. 
I don't know why I just did like this. I'm thinking snakes. Now they're wandering. And so this story that Jesus references comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And what had happened was the people of Israel were getting tired of wandering in the desert. And they weren't very good followers of God or Moses. And they uh, sinned against God by grumbling against him repeatedly. And so in Numbers 21, God sends poisonous snakes. And the people, because of their grumbling, were bit by poisonous snakes and they were dying. And the solution was God had Moses build a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up. And there was just a known location where there was a snake on a stick. Right, you think taking communion is weird. How about a snake on a stick that you're supposed to go find and look at it? (laughs) That was the cure for poisonous snake bites. To find a snake on a stick and look at it. And so Jesus brings Nicodemus back to that. And this is intentional lingo. Jesus is making a direct comparison here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes may have eternal life. Jesus is making a direct comparison here. He says, uh, this is what it was like for your people. It took a snake to save them from a snake. And now it is going to take a death to save from death. And all you had to do was look at it in faith. Now we're on the other side. We get to look back and see. Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is describing. But he's telling him what's about to happen. Faith is going to be the same. It will take death to save people from death. And that death was lifted up on a pole. And all the people have to do is look at it and believe. And then the next words. So after this conversation, right, God has structured his word in such a way that we're now at John 3.16. For God loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God loved the world like so. So for many of us, uh, for whatever reason, King James or something similar has been the most popular version of John 3.16 to memorize from afar, which, which reads like it does in ESV, for God so loved the world. And, and it's easy to think of it when it's written that way, that this is, this is like stretching out your arms. This is the Bible uh, flexing on God's amount of love. For God loved so much that he did this. But uh, if you've seen The Chosen, uh, they've, they've, they've gone with a, a slightly different translation of John 3.16. And actually, if you're in the North Shore Bibles, I just picked this up from the back. There's a footnote here as well reminding us that so has different meanings, even in English. And just at the bottom right here, right, verse 8 or verse 16, or for this is how God loved the world. 
That is another way of reading this. For God loved the world in this way, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, drive us steadily towards the cross. More words are devoted to the final week of Jesus' life in each of the four gospels than they are to the other 33 years of his life. Jesus was a model for right living, yes, but the all-consuming fascination for these guys was the God-become-man dying on a cross for his enemies to be forgiven. John 3.16 is not primarily a celebration of the amount of God's love, which would in one sense be redundant as the Bible over and over says, God is all this, God is all that, God is all everything. We've already covered that God has the amount of love. It is a celebration of his uniqueness. Nobody does this. It's, it's possible to be smothered by an amount of gifts. Right, just in, in, humanly speaking, someone can give and give and give, and you're like, all right, this is very nice. I have no more room. <laughs> Please stop. But it's, it, you, can't, you can't be smothered by the sentiment, the thoughtfulness, the personal touch, the uniqueness of a gift. And in fact, the Bible highlights this element of God's love in many places, None more clear than Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the uniqueness of God's love. And see, the snake thing is important because people are still dying. But they're not dying from snake bites. They're dying from sin. And Jesus steps in to provide a way through faith to be saved. But this time, it's, an, it's not an object to look at made out of bronze. It's an object made out of himself. He sacrificed. He offered. He gave. Good Friday is at the end of this week. I won't tell you what day, you got to figure it out for yourself. But the reason Good Friday exists is, is in large part because of this conversation. These words of Jesus. God sent a snake to save from a snake and the cost was to look at it and believe. And then later God sent a death to save from death and the cost is to look at it and believe. We don't ever move on from the cross. We don't ever move on from the picture of Jesus Christ giving of himself so that we can be made right. So what, what do you believe? Nicodemus was not expecting to be asked that question, but, but Jesus provides. What do you believe? I think it would, be, it would be wrong and bad practice to, to ha visit this 
conversation, this passage, and, and not every one of us check our response to the gospel story written for us, the greatest story ever told. Every one of us, in person, online, wherever, have you responded to that? What has been your response to the story? The promise of a new heart, a new spirit, of eternal life, of life change while here, at the cost of gazing intently on death on a pole. That's the offer. And many of us are here because we've said yes to that. But I, I know that uh, there are those who have not. And for every one of us, through just the circumstances of life and the enemy, we ha are prone to forget what it was that we first believed in. We have forgotten at times what we've said yes to. And so this morning, as Jesus lays out what he has for us and what it costs him and what it costs us, have you responded to the gospel with your faith, with your mind, with your heart? So Jesus asks Nicodemus, what do you believe? But he also asks for all of us, how do you believe it? There's two more verses. So I, I said we'd look at up to John 3, 16. Here's what comes right after, verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. One of the Christian doctrines most attacked is the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Meaning that you must believe in Jesus Christ to receive salvation. It's not even so much aggressively attacked anymore, just casually assumed that Christians are wrong. The exclusivity of Christ means that you have to believe exclusively in him. It is the story about a God who loves and invites, but catch the language that was in those verses. John 3.16 we know, but in 17 and 18, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's three references to the world. Not the planet, the people. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That's two references to whoever. This is an offer for all people. You and I live in a cultural moment where it is not popular to hold any convictions in truth. Right, with exception maybe to tolerance, recycling, and the ethical treatment of animals. It's, it's not, it's just not done. It is a difficult thing to hold to a conviction. And Nicodemus is, is trying to get somewhere. Maybe he doesn't even know where he's trying to get, but he's just asking some questions 
over and over. And, and Nicodemus says, God, I don't understand. And even at the beginning, he's saying, God, I am a first century Jew. Do you honestly expect me to believe I understand biology? You can't be born again. And these days it shifted a little bit, but, but it's the same line of thinking. I am a 21st century American. You expect me to believe that there's one way? I understand logic and metaphysics. How can this be? But, but press in. Press in. My encouragement, whatever part of the journey with Jesus that you're on, is do not be content to let the gospel be a quick hit of comfort or a long-forgotten ticket for salvation. Look deeply into God's word. Ask these types of questions. Search, press into what Jesus means and the full truth of the gospel message because at the end of it is gold. Just for example, picture the, the following conversation, right? So, so what, you, you believe, isn't Jesus like super exclusive, right? A retort that I have heard to my face, Jesus is exclusive. Absolutely. He asks me to believe exclusively in him. And if I do that, I am freed from sin and given eternal life. And you also can believe exclusively in him, no matter what you've done, and receive the same. And anyone either of us knows could believe exclusively in him, no matter what they've done, and receive the same. In fact, anyone who believes in him will never die but have eternal life. Isn't it so amazing how exclusive Jesus is? In fact, it gets better, right? The Christian story is that of a savior, a perfect savior who chose to take on heartbreak, suffering, isolation, and death to provide for humans who have broken hearts, are plagued with suffering and isolation, grace. It is exclusively Jesus who does this. No one else does this. Do not back down from the gospel. Can it be challenging at times? Of course. This is one of the educated of Israel, and he's breaking his brain trying to figure this out. But I would encourage all of us, where, we, where, where Jesus started this idea of faces in the crowd. Sometimes we're a little too concerned with what our physical eyes can see, what physical needs are before us, with understanding the... But Jesus says, what do you believe? And are you willing to open your eyes to the things I have that are even better? By pressing into Jesus, trying to understand, Nicodemus and Jesus landed on John 3.16, the verse that continues to impact the world. So this morning, wherever you're, wherever you're at in this journey, do, do you need to press into that gospel? Is there something else? Did you raise your hand at some point and say, this is too hard, I'll let someone else figure it out? I would encourage you, look into it. 
ask of Jesus? Or is there a place where perhaps you need to stand on it to follow the gospel all the way to its conclusion to allow it to give comfort? I think it can hold up to all of the questions that we can ask it. Nicodemus's repeated question is simply, God, I don't understand. And Jesus is providing spiritual understanding. So this morning, for us to, to step away from so much science, so much logic, so much physical understanding, because grace is at stake, eternal life is at stake. Um, as we head into worship, I would ask you if we just bow our heads and invite God, your presence, your spirit into this place. We thank you for the offer of your spirit to live inside us and to go with us. God, help us to see with spiritual eyes. We ask for that life transformation. Even when we frequently ask for something else, God, we know that we need you. Just meet us here. Remind us of what we need to know. Show us what we need to see. Let us never forget the gospel story that you wrote for us. In your name we pray.